welcome to One of Two Hundred, the New Zealand Independent Media and Politics Podcast. I'm joined by my co-host Justine. How are you doing, Justine? I'm good. How are you, Carl? I am flourishing. Yeah, I'm fine. Flourishing, fine and flourishing. And as a guest today, uh, we're joined by Elspeth, the founder of uh, New Zealand Doctors Stand Up for Vaccines. Uh, welcome to the cast. Really glad to have you here, Elspeth. I'm glad to be here. Elspeth, if you could just talk a bit about what you do um, and what is New Zealand Doctors Stand Up for Vaccines? So I'm um, a um, emergency medicine physician, one of the senior medical officers um, in Auckland. Um, and gosh, been working for over two decades now, which makes me feel old. Um, and a number of months ago, you know, founded New Zealand Doctors Stand Up for Vaccination, which was founded a good few months before Super Super Saturday, but coincided lovely with Super Saturday in the, the collection of um, uh, signatures of doctors just wanting to, you know, stand up and publicly be known as supportive of vaccination in order for there to be a, you know, vocal majority that that we're, we're able to, you know, just say, look, look at all of these people. Um, and in the end, we ended up uh, publishing on um, on stuff um, on the de- morning of Super Saturday. It was just really, really awesome that Providence allowed it to happen that way, um, having Gosh, it was nearly 8,000 signatures that everybody could just read and flip through and see the sheer volume of, and the doctors were so happy actually just to have that outlet um, and have that ability to, to you know, stand up and, and be vocal. So it was a really positive, um, really positive experience. Use an interesting terminology there, vocal majority, um, which I imagine is in direct reference to uh, some of the, vocality, some of the voices um, that are often platformed because there's not much vocalization um, if something tends to be seen as status quo. Yeah, I would certainly say that, you know, doctors being in support of of evidence-based medicine isn't exactly newsworthy or it hasn't been up until relatively recently. So I I think that there can definitely be um, um, either either purposefully or not purposefully um, portrayal in in media that the the minority um are are larger than they are and um you know sometimes it's really good to have a bit of dose of of reality um mm-hmm. i was just googling um before we started to 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 look at you know how many how many doctors and nurses have been you know have had to stop work as a result of, of not wanting to be vaccinated and it's it's tiny for nurses it's 0.17% for um, doctors, it's 0.06%. Um, and for midwives, it's 0.4%. So it's it's tiny. And it's like a story um, a day. That's, pardon? And it's like a story a day. It, yeah, it's it's absurd. And then, and then if you compare that to the number of poor doctors and nurses who haven't been able to work because their work environment with COVID is too dangerous, um, mm. you know, that's actually quite high so you know it's just it's just really important to just come to come back to you know Uh, yeah you know because usually I guess um a lot of uh you know like a lot of what we do is is talk about um minorities you know like the marginalized minorities or um vulnerable people in the pandemic there's been a lot of focus on that which is good and from an equity point of view but with regard to the vaccine i found that it's like flips over on its head and it's actually really important and i think that's why i really like that term the vocal majority because this is something you know like a social contract that we're entering into like an agreement to look after each other and to do our best to protect one another and it's really important to actually like be loud and vocal about that uh, versus paying so much airtime to the vocal minority on vaccination. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yes. That's why the doctors were so happy because there's so many doctors who were just didn't really, they didn't feel comfortable standing up and saying, you know, we support vaccinations. And it's so scary to think of the reasons why they didn't feel comfortable Mm. being able to do that. So it was really helpful to create an easy go-to for, you know, this is, you know, our organ, our little, you know, grassroots initiative is able to to represent, you know, these kind of nearly 8,000 doctors who are, 
you know, really happy to, and all of these, we made um, these frequently asked questions um, that, you know, they're still available on, on the internet. Um, and they were circulating around, like people were sharing them around and they were in offices and people were finding them in kind of waiting rooms. <laughs> um, and it was it was just awesome because there was that th thirst, thirst for, you know, information from, you know, these doctors that people have trust, trusted with their lives and with their children's lives for, for years and years, you know. I think something else we often... Um don't necessarily consider or, or at least don't investigate too much is the way in which, you know, some people who are, who are working in whatever job, they don't have time to go out and be a part of this uh, vocal anything generally, <laughs> you know, and especially in healthcare at the moment, Christ. Um, but there's a, there's a real risk that when a vocal minority is platformed in this way so consistently, it ends up pseudo representing a quiet majority um, and, you know, politicians will often refer to the quiet, the silent majority or, um, or whatever. And as long as there's a vacuum of information around what a particular group supports um, or, you know, structures or systems or whatever, uh, it just leaves a lot of space for misinformation and disinformation to propagate. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of this has been actually... It, it, the role that I envisaged, which initially was, oh, we'll, we'll collect the signatures. And then that role just kind of, um, it certainly grew beyond what we're anticipating. And the learning curve of learning about messaging around um, vaccination during a global pandemic and the role of social media and the danger of social media um, was really interesting. And, um, you know, doctors and nurses are on social media. Um, and the, the kind of talking about, you know, when do we share and talk about these mis misinformation? Um, is it useful to, to share a piece of misinformation that's really annoyed you? Is that, is that particularly helpful? Um, and how, no, no, that's, that's, it's not helpful. Um, it, that's where it gets its, um, you know, energy. There's no such thing as bad news. There's no such thing as, um, uh, bad publicity yeah. is really um, comes to the fore um, in this in this sphere. This is the other thing, right? It's like there's not really any comms training uh, in these spaces. Um, no, no. You, you know, like no one's really been taught how to do a political campaign uh, when they're just interacting with social media um, as a member of the public, essentially. And just kind of going back, I guess. Uh, a year or so, 12 months or so, um, you also, as, as doctors and nurses or, or healthcare workers, you're, you're online, you're seeing all this stuff, you're seeing things in the media. Um, and then, you know, in the UK, um, all the politicians came out and clapped, clapped for healthcare workers, um, you know, one afternoon. Um, and, it, you know, as far as I know, nurses fucking loved that. Um, cool, that's all, that's all they needed. <laughs> It's, it's really actually it was it was multiple afternoons it was every thursday mm. oh okay Look, see i was missing it was, it was yeah, no, don't, don't like, downplay it don't downplay <laughs> it was <laughs> lovely like it was it was uh, it almost had like a a world war ii kind of feeling like everybody coming out <laughs> in the gardens and clapping and like it's really interesting because healthcare workers have been cast now in this superhero role that actual healthcare workers are really uncomfortable with because the a lot of the analogies of your a frontline worker and all of these wordings they come from war, um, and they're um, not deifying but creating heroes out of of healthcare workers. And if anything, that dehumanizes sometimes the healthcare workers. You know, we're not heroes. We went to med school, uh, or you know, we went to nursing school, and then we turn up to work and we're exhausted. We're not like landing doing superhero poses and kind of we're not like ER. We're well, just, we're, you're not we're, you're not martyrs, no, right? Because that's, that's the expectation of superheroes. I think is like kind of troubling about the whole rhetoric. Is like you're you know, you're sacrificing yourselves, to, you know, and that and that's the I think that's with some of the public policy failures, um, you know, globally within that pandemic. I think there's that expectation. Um, which is actually quite insulting. Like, yeah, you're just workers. You deserve to be healthy and safe at work. You deserve to have um, 
good working hours you and you deserve uh for the governments to take the pandemic very seriously um because it fucking impacts your work um yeah because well, if you if you think back to the cast your mind back and those first images that we have coming out of was it Italy? Italy. Um, yeah. All of these doctors who are like, we've run out of, of face masks. So we're just keeping going. We know that we're risking ourselves, but we we are, you know, we we need to do this. This is our vocation. And sh- sure, some some of those, that's, that's incredible. That's amazing. But then there would be some people who would be like, well, I don't want to do that. I I love my my family and I I, I don't want to, you know, risk my life this isn't what I signed on for and that is an equally valid um opinion um so yeah there is a lot of consternation around this superhero rhetoric that I know that a lot of healthcare workers aren't particularly comfortable about it I remember back um kind of in the first days here as well um some of the things that you were sharing Elspeth just on social media on Facebook were it was basically the only place we were seeing some of the uh, just really horrible um, things that healthcare workers were having to go through was if you knew a healthcare worker, um, either in New Zealand or overseas. Um, like before people really knew what COVID was, just the protocols around what you'd have to do moving between your work and home space to try and mitigate the risk to your family were just incredible. Yeah, I mean, the other only the other um, what two weeks ago, I had a, a possible expo- a COVID exposure at work. Um, um, you know, with somebody who didn't have any symptoms, um, and you know, we're N95ing all the time, and um, but then having you know surveillance swabs and thinking, gosh, am I going to have to self isolate at work? And you know, occupational health were awesome, and the whole process was you know very slick but then having to think you know I know of some people who have had to be self-isolating for for 10 days because of um you know exposures at work who have children at home unvaccinated children who some of them were you know some of them were doctors who had pregnant wives at the beginning of the pandemic I'm thinking can I even still live with my with my wife because she's pregnant before the vaccination um Mm -hmm. rollout even started so, you know, the, there is an enormous amount that, for the average person that in New Zealand, coming the concept of coming into um, contact with their natural, which actually into contact with a COVID positive patient um, is not something that they have to, to grapple with. Um, and yeah, so I, I think it would certainly behest every politicians and everybody to to do to listen to you know what are your healthcare workers saying um because they have no reason to lie um and if if the healthcare workers have causes for concern then they you know they should be listened to i know a lot of nurses who would um don't talk about that, but um <laughs> I, I feel like nurses are the canary in the coal mine sometimes in terms of like um I mean, actually, no, that that I might, um, healthcare workers in general, but I feel like nurses have been sounding the alarm about the staffing situations in our healthcare system for, since 2017, like, is when it's, you know, started to reach a really critical point. And we've had, um, you know, Labour government throughout that time. And I think it's pretty disappointing that they haven't been listened to. Um especially now, you know, you'd think that the start of the pandemic would have been a good time if you weren't going to listen to them before. You think that would have been a good time. Um, but now it's not too late. You still have time to listen to the nurses <laughs> uh, and, the, and the healthcare workers in general. Uh, so I really do hope that the government does start to listen because <laughs> I'm getting tired <laughs> of trying to make them listen. It's, it is, it has been like really like interesting because like I I mean just from a nurse like I'm coming from the nurse's perspective but um you know nurses are some like like people love nurses until um it becomes you know in a, like for instance you know in a pandemic environment where nurses are I don't know trying to sort of wave the you know 
press the panic button um, and call for more resources or call for further restrictions or call for more funding. And then suddenly it's like, oh, don't you think you're exaggerating a little bit? Um, Why didn't you which, say this under national? <laughs> well, well, you didn't say this in 2015. <laughs> five years ago, more than five years ago. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, so it's, it's interesting to see um, how, and I also think, and I, I think maybe this is a good thing for people listening um, I think a lot of people, when they hear healthcare workers say, hey, things are bad and we, uh, we need to fix it, they think, oh, well, I'm okay, I'm well, I don't think I'll need to go to the hospital anytime soon, so that's not a problem, that's a, well, that's a problem we don't have to really worry about. You know, you never know when you're going to need healthcare services, um, and uh, I just think you've got to listen to the canary in the coal mine. Like, I mean, I don't like hearing any healthcare worker telling me <laughs> This isn't to say that you shouldn't go to hospital if you're unwell. You absolutely should, by the way, because everyone else gets worried about that, like that you're going to, that, 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 you know, saying, being honest about uh, the staffing conditions for nurses is going to um, make people not want to go to hospital when they're unwell, which is absolutely, you should, hospital's still the best place for you to be. But nurses and other healthcare workers want it to be safe for them as well so that they can practice and fully give you the best care possible. And sometimes that's, that you know like it's working to that standard that like an immaculate and excellent standard that they want to work to is impossible because of our staffing staffing and resource situation and i think that's unacceptable well i mean if we just say name one thing more important than your nation's health like the economy What are we going to do without an economy? What are we going to be alive without an economy? I'm just joking. Yeah, <laughs> you. But because you've got you've got three options, as I see it. You've got we're and we're currently sat in the middle, and you've got America's model of rich people get healthcare, poor people die. Or you can go fund me your own healthcare. Like that's an option. You've got the NHS, which is just completely floundering anyone trying to get healthcare through the nhs right now is going to find it very difficult to to get you know you know good good healthcare at times um it really is floundering there it's 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 horrible um and then you have where we are and you you know, I think that New Zealand is proud of its status as with 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 a public healthcare system. Um, and it, but if you want a public healthcare system with population growth of you know over a million in the major cities, um, then you have to adequately staff and fund that healthcare system. And you know, doctors and nurses are not looking to become millionaires out of their public health care system like that they're not seeking money so that they can go and buy a Maserati they are seeking to be able to perform their job without constantly thinking something awful is going to happen here um and getting post-traumatic stress disorder (laughs) and also stay in their job and and have a job that will pay you and meet inflation um so that you're not literally getting paid less every year um and and it's not even about you know it is about wages because it's about people actually remaining in in extremely high stressful jobs but it's it's about just funding your healthcare system as if as if you care about it um and at the moment we are struggling mm. yeah give us the state of the the nation elspeth tell us tell us what <laughs> hang <things>. on <laughs> <laughs> let me hang on i'll just go into my uh into my trance-like state and then come back in a second okay okay, okay. oh gee <laughs> that's a good start <laughs> I had a professor well, i can't remember who it is from uh you have entered into the where i connected the things to my head anyway um the state of the nation i mean you're looking at it is not unheard of to have a seven hour wait for an ambulance to turn up to pick up somebody from a residential um, old old aged residential care um it is not unusual to wait for 
of four, six, maybe even not longer hours to be seen um, arriving in an emergency department. It's not unusual to wait um, more than 24 hours in an emergency department in order to, to um, be admitted into a mental health facility. Um, it's not unusual to stay in an emergency department for 24 or more hours waiting just to get onto a ward. Um, and it, it's easy to say those things, but then when you're actually the patient, then that's it feels very different than it's just being a stat. Well, so and, you, yeah. you know, sat, you know, if you're a mental health person who, mental health person, that's not, not the phrasing. If you're a person with a mental health problem um, and your, your mental health problem is, is so significant that you need to be admitted into an inpatient unit, then, then sitting for, for, for a day in an emergency department um, in, in order to just begin the care that you need. Like, it's really important to remember that these are people, they're not just numbers. Um, and so the other day there was 80 patients that couldn't get into an award um, from Middlemore Hospital ED. And so then you try and write, okay, what's 80 people? That's three wards of people. What do 80 people look like? That's like, what, two double-decker buses full of, of people, all with health problems. Um, so I think it's really hard to, unless you're the, actually the patient, to envisage that these are people. And I, I, I do think that we forget that. And it, you know, I, you know, and you know, you hear, especially in terms of mental health, just people falling through the cracks, you know, the people who don't, um, who, who are prematurely released, who don't get access to the care they need um, and who wind up back, back in ED or, you know, or even worse. It, it, it's, it, the health system seems really stretched yeah, as I said, I don't even know the words that I can use from the nurses. I, so it's interesting for me. It's very interesting to hear from um, a doctor's perspective. It's funny because we we don't it's like we almost like I mean I don't we don't hear a lot from doctors um, in my line of work, which is interesting. Um, so it's really cool to be able to like talk to doctors and see this other side of things because the nurses certainly tell us stories um, and. Yeah, I don't even have the words to describe how how at capacity our healthcare workforce is and the nurses are. And I just think we should be paying you guys like a million bucks. I think, like, <laughs> I think, like, I think healthcare workers' wages should be going up. At, they should be the same as house prices and going up at the same rate. <laughs> the, you know, like, oh, if we really not, have... Oh, that would be nice. <laughs> we, we genuinely do. Like, we scrape through. Like, we, we work our asses off and nurses will cover for their other nurses. They'll be working and there'll be a certain number of nurses down and you work your ass off and you get through your shift and 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 each time you're like gosh that was hard and all that it needed sometimes to become complete disaster is just that one thing one extra thing and and you know this isn't um specifically at a dhb level this isn't specifically at um one specialty is the problem um this is not specifically in one city. This is, this is a whole healthcare system problem that can really only be fixed at extremely high levels. Um, and, you know, I, I think doctors and nurses have the ability to, to state, you know, these are the problems, these, these are, um, and, and to say it, but we don't, we, we don't have the power to fix the problem because it's, 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 far, far above our heads. Um, and you're also, you know, doing your actual jobs. Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, when I hear about healthcare workers from all over the world, because I think like a, we're, um, healthcare workers are all kind of singing the same song. Um, I think it's particularly, like it's maybe worse or better in some places, but it's pretty much the same, yeah, same same song, different, different area. And it's almost like we need a globally coordinated public <laughs> health response to the pandemic and i wonder if there was like an agency say like a world health organization that could help 
coordinate that. I don't know. Just spitballing here. Yeah. There, there could there could be something like that really that could help. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, anyways, we we yeah we'll put we'll put that out there. So that <laughs> <laughs> it's really interesting hearing some of the specifics around you know the state of the healthcare system here because quite early on, uh, some of the justifications or the reasoning behind New Zealand's hard and fast approach. Um, although I don't think Ardern ever specifically said it or said it out loud, was that if COVID got into New Zealand before we started a vaccination program, the healthcare system was already so stretched that it would just fall over. It was just, it would just be an absolutely unmitigated disaster. How was in that context, what was it like working in, in that space and in um, emergency departments as we kind of slowly moved uh, through that initial phase into one where a vaccine had been created and we started the rollout? It's just been, you know, it's been very interesting. And like, you know, I might sit here and complain about the state of our healthcare system, but actually in, if you, if you look at how our we have handled COVID as, as a country. Um, we, in many ways, have done extremely well and should be extremely proud of ourselves for what we have done. Um, mm. There are many ways that this could have been done, done better. And um, one obvious thing is, is point of view of Maori equity with regards mm. to vaccinations. And there are, there are many, many ways that could have been done better and those and those ways are extremely important and mm. um, so I, I don't want to belittle them at all mm. but we have you know globally got you know one of the lowest death rates um and and globally an extremely good vaccination rate working in the emergency department it's interesting to some extent there was a sense of almost survivorship guilt because you'd be looking to other countries that were just flailing and you're looking at New York with refrigerated vans outside emergency departments for, for the bodies of deceased that can't fit in the mortuary. And you, you just know that it's, it's not that bad here. Um, and we had a lot of ability to learn from the experiences of other countries um, because we, you know, it was, it was slow to arrive on our shores. Um, mm. So there was certainly a great deal of, um, you know, of, of an interesting emotions that came with that. But then learning about the complexities of dealing with COVID, so learning about and having to think on the fly constantly and, and, and be a very reactionary of, oh my goodness, we don't have enough negative pressure rooms. You can't just create a negative pressure room. How are we gonna do these processes? Um, you know, so yeah, it, it's, it's been it's been a steep learning curve. A lot of people have had to stand up into kind of management positions and take over and become you know the little the COVID expert of your department, having known nothing about COVID up until you know a, a year prior. So mm. yeah, I, I think that to to an extent, hospitals have had to be reactionary um, and have done as well as they could other, 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 other under difficult circumstances. I think that the one thing that many hospitals could learn from is to, in the downtimes, uh, don't kick back and relax, I think. Um, Prepare. Yeah, so in the downtimes, looking across to Australia and be like, right, where's Australia now? We'll probably be there in a few months time and what are they having to do? So there's a lot of problems through the most recent Delta outbreak that um, we're having to kind of reactionary solve that we possibly could have planned ahead for. For example, um, the social aspect of um, children whose parents catch COVID. Um, and, you know, how what, what do you do about that? The childcare for that child, if they aren't able, if they too have COVID or they're not able to go off with Parnell, um, and, you know, certain questions possibly we could have planned ahead for. Um, so, yeah, I think it's been an extremely ex interesting experience for an entire healthcare workforce who I don't think were in any way planning to become pandemic experts during their lifetime. Mm -hmm. um, I think I think you've touched on a really good point there, which is that any 
analysis of New Zealand's COVID response that doesn't compare it to overseas misses and misses, um, you know, the context, I guess, the international context that we're operating in, um, which isn't to say that we shouldn't critique it, I get, I guess, but I do think some of the local kind of analysis has been missing, like an international perspective. Um, we're really lucky in many ways. And I think that there has, like, like the government has had the benefit of, you know, being at the other side of the world and being able to learn from the mistakes of other countries. Um, and that, and, you know, like we, we can't, I don't know, you can't really downplay the success of, you know, just the, our death rate, which is just the lowest in the OECD by a huge amount, right? Um, and then there are things that we definitely can improve on in terms of, you know, equity and things like that. So totally agree. I, um, and like, and, and also in terms of the social support, right? As well throughout, throughout COVID, like I think where New Zealand hasn't done well is just financially supporting um, work, like not businesses. We've done really well with businesses. We've given them mental health care support. We've given them tons of money, which is awesome. You know, I don't want businesses to fail, but we could also have given people money is all I'm saying. We probably still will have to. What with this whole Omnicron thing, 2022 is not looking any better. <laughs> I was going to saw somebody who, t- who tweeted, oh, 2023 is going to be my year. And I was like, yeah, that's where <laughs> I'm at right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um how um what can we what can we do like what, what do we need to do now for how do we prepare for 2022 what's your take i think i think that the one massive mistake that we that we and the you know the government made was was um equity and um and i think that we need to do the rollout of of the five to 11 year olds differently. Um, I think equity should never be an afterthought. It should never be an add-on. It should never be, we're gonna make the plan and then we'll do the equity bit. You need, like that needs to be the first thing that you're thinking of. Um, and I think that we there's there are lessons to learn from 2021 and we need some humility and to be able to accept that mistakes were made and that we need to do better. It's really um, interesting, I guess, frustrating. No, m- mostly frustrating. Um, so we've had a number of uh, public health experts on here, um, especially some that are uh, you know, involved in Maori uh, community and public health, uh, like Dr. Rawari Jansen. Um, and essentially, legend. yeah, just such a legend, just incredible. Uh, and just saying, you know, the alarm was being sounded. I know. You know, they, they were in initial expert advisory groups um, and then they just kind of like stopped being invited <laughs> um, and the, the warning bells they were ringing just weren't listened to um, at, a, at, at that highest decision-making level. Uh, so it's not even that they just need to learn from the mistakes they made. They actually just need to, because they didn't even need to be mistakes in the first place. You know, it was it was forecast. Self-inflicted injuries. Yeah, just just listen to yeah, the people who are in these spaces. It's confusing. I, I can I I wasn't in those rooms. I I can't speculate any reasoning behind it at all. But certainly, as an as an outsider observer, it's confusing and disappointing. Would be a, um, and I can only hope that 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 we can't remedy but we can that they can improve um moving forward and there's going to be millions of decisions that need to be made in in 2022 as well um and so placing maori front and placing the well-being of maori at the absolute forefront um must be a priority and can't be point number seven on our itinerary. It has to be point number one. Um, otherwise, you know, we're, we're doing it wrong. Yeah, I think we narrow. Like, I think like a, it, it should be said that I think we narrowly avoided a really bad outcome here with the Delta outbreak. I mean, and potentially now we're facing an even more. I don't even know you can say that we avoided. I've avoided it. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe we're still. Maybe <laughs> I think if yeah. you're a Maori person, yeah. you're saying, "Yeah, no, we had a bad outcome." <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Actually, yeah, I shouldn't. And I, um, yeah, totally. And now with Omicron, there's and you know this new threat, and um, 
it's I think it's on to like well public um, health workers and and people of conscience progressives to really be loud about this because yeah. otherwise um, I have no interest in learning the entire Greek alphabet so if we I've, could yeah, stop here yeah. that would be great <laughs> and, and, and you know when we talk about equity actually that's a good point like I we have to be so militant about our, you know, every single nation state has a role to play in calling for vaccine equity, in calling for the TRIPS waiver, in calling for, you know, um, access to vaccines in the global south. Because, yes, otherwise we will learn the whole Greek alphabet and we'll have to create a new alphabet. I mean, <laughs> we're... <laughs> Yeah, I don't know, who knows? You know, like, like I, I, I talk to people and they're like, this is just how viruses are, viruses do this, and they mutate, and you, nothing you can do about it. It's like, do you understand that we have unprecedented global networks of transport and an unfathomable amount of people to if infect and allow a virus to mutate? Like, this is a bit of a different situation. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> so I, was, I, was, I did my Googling and... Um, 46% of the world's vaccination, uh, of the world's population have been vaccinated against um, COVID. And I think we all know where that 46% are. Um, and yeah, like if you create a, a nice little, um, you know, pot that, that the COVID can, can, can grow in and enjoy itself and have a pool party. Um, and then, yeah, that will then continue to to be there um so the global equity of vaccination is i mean that's above many that's that's even higher <laughs> and you just you know all that you can do as a as one of us our little plebites that we are is just continue to say as loudly as you can um that this must be done and the delay vote. Yeah, <laughs> yeah vote yeah the delay is just unfathomable because we were here in 2020 talking about this about being um access to vaccines yeah we're talking about the trust waiver with it we were talking about yeah we were talking about this in 2020 um and it's still yeah i mean and 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 you know for reals i mean it's unfathomable to me um you know i'm south african i've been boosted now i have three vaccines um a nine-year-old in South Africa has only just gotten access to one South, vaccine. South African rates are dreadful. I was, I, I saw that and I was interested. Yeah. Um, it, uh, it seemed that it not fitting really that, that South African rates would be so bad. But it's yeah. Well, I think there's a lot of there is a lot of vaccine hesitancy. I mean, you can't discount the fact that there will be like I mean, as much as we talk about equity and it's important to have access to vaccines, what the these nations will also have to grapple with is. Um, hesitancy um, and you know we need to be able to resource public health and information and things like that alongside any vaccine rollout yeah um, and, and you know I especially in the global south I can understand hesitancy I mean South Africa has have a, has a long chicken history of trying to access medic life-saving medication all of, all of that Africa all of Africa, that yeah. the West, that the West wants to gatekeep, um, you know, South Africa is on the forefront of pushing for generic medication for HIV and AIDS, yeah. um, that, you know, um, people like Bill Clinton um, was fighting to prevent. Um, yeah. So, like, there's... Good old Bill. Good old Bill. <laughs> what a friend of as a hero in history. <laughs> friend of Jeffrey Epstein, like, good guy. That's a guy that I look up and to. Not, yeah. not just not just like the pharmaceutical issues either, but like the significant history of medical malpractice by oh, Western yeah. governments and in, in Africa. Africa. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. insane. Like there, there are like, I mean, this is why um, you know there are so many issues with health workers and why um, some African uh, countries or regions have been such a global hotspot for. The possibility of a pandemic for decades and i'm thinking about things like um uh, hemorrhagic fever like ebola um where un workers are just murdered you know like despite the fact that they're there to try and um give medical care to people in these like with these horrible diseases uh, and, and it's that particular thing has been an issue for, for decades um, yeah yeah, yeah. You can't discount, and I, I don't think anyone should, you can't discount the role of, like, 
the role of malpractice, like, yeah, the malpractice in the pharmaceutical industry has in, in creating vaccine hesitancy. I mean, you know, if you watch something like Dope Sick, have you guys seen Dope Sick? Not sure that I have. A good a good documentary series about um, how pharmaceutical companies fudged research on opioids um, when it was, you know, they were first being kind of pushed to prescribe them in the States and just the whole kind of genesis of that, of the opioid crisis, which is really interesting. And I think for people who've lived through that, um, and, you know, a lot of people have been touched by that, especially in the States, I can, I can understand, I mean, I can, you have to understand, you know, for some, the sources of hesitancy, um, for, for sure. And so I think the only solution is good public health messaging, well-resourced campaigns, um, and and just transparency. Um, and, you know, this just not, I just think profit has no place in a pandemic. There's just no place for private interest and profit in something that we're all we all have a stake in and we're it's and our well-being is completely interconnected um and i do think that we need to make that yeah i don't know but anyways we're as you're as you said the plebs, plebs we can only say these the things and ho hopefully <laughs> that some somewhere someone will listen and act on um on our on our insight <laughs> profit has no case in place in healthcare whatsoever yeah. going across to america and seeing all of these drug adverts on tv with somebody um you know followed by the list, list of a thousand ways in which you might die if you take this medication and then go and speak to your family doctor about blah blah today and uh, and i'm just like this is just weird this is just so confusing why is this the state i mean i'm, I'm one of the only other so countries happy. that allows um, we're, we're one of the only countries that allow adverts for uh, medication but we're, ours is not nearly as bad like no 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 I went to the States and it was like, are you suffering from high blood pressure, high cholesterol and heart disease? Welcome. Like, it's like, now introducing. Welcome to your 40s. <laughs> <laughs> what? And I'm like, I was on the bus. I'll never forget. Like the first time I got, we got, we were seeing, we were in Hawaii for a wedding and we're on the bus um, in Maui and I just hear this guy on the phone and it's like horrific. It's like human tragedy. It's just all over the place. But he's like, yeah, I've got cancer. I'm not sure I can afford chemo, but we'll see how we go. I'm I'm going to the doctor to like to get a treatment plan and a breakdown of the costs like like can you imagine I you know I just couldn't conceive like I mean and this is reality and this is what they're used to but you know it's so it's difficult enough getting a cancer diagnosis and then having to like think about that in relation to well oh what can I how how much how alive can I really afford to be right now you know like <laughs> yeah like yeah, we'll go for three, three fourths of it. Yeah, just like, and then the fourth, we can we'll see how we go. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's inhumane, and then it doesn't even oh, it doesn't even take into the fact the fact that for a lot of um, Americans, their healthcare is is inextricably linked to their place of work, um, and therefore becomes a significant bargaining chip that um, can. Uh, so it's it's just um, it's it's hideous. It's it, it's actually like being kidnapped <laughs> like you're at the like you know the, how does that that stops you from standing up at work that might stop you from joining a union that can stop you from you know like you are tied to your 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 health and your family's health tied to an employer I mean and who wouldn't want to depend on the um charity and um benevolence of um a small business owner <laughs> who wouldn't I couldn't think of anything better bring it back to New Zealand so <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> We, you'll, um, cut, you'll cut this, right? <laughs> no, 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 no. This is staying in. This is fantastic. We're, we're doing pretty well here. Like, our case is coming down in Auckland where the major Delta outbreak has been. I'd still say we're we're probably not quite out of the Delta outbreak as we've opened up Auckland now. There's, you know, some some chances for some of the lower vaccine areas to, to have some struggles with it. Uh, we're yet to see if uh, some of the equity issues play out um, uh, a little worse than they already have. Just started to see... Um, the first couple of MIQ Omicron cases coming into um, New Zealand. Nothing that we've seen yet kind of getting out into the community, which is fantastic. And we have just uh, announced, or MedSafe has just announced that has been uh, provisionally approved the vaccine for five to 11 year olds. What is your, I guess, vision for the next uh, few months coming into the new year, Elspeth? Uh, cue, cue the applause for MedSafe. Um, 
vision. So Omicron is coming to a place near you. Um, it is it, it'll get out. It's going to get out. Um, what do we know about Omicron so far? Not 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 a massive deal. Um, we know that it's extremely infectious. Um, we are not sure of the level of illness that it's, I mean, obviously it's capable of creating um, severe illness, um, but where it lies between um, the Delta strain and, and, and other strains, it, you know, time will tell um, and other countries data will, will show us that. What we do know is that it can, it's incredibly infectious. And so to some extent, even if it only causes, you know, milder disease, all you need is enough people to be infected for that to, 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 to cause an, an absolute disaster. Um, if you have, I mean, the UK um, earlier this week had 98,000 98, cases in, in one day. It's only been so that's, what, a that's month. Not, well, that's not too bad. No, that's okay. That's not oh, true. you know, that's no, fine. Just... That's not much. <laughs> just a little bit. Yeah. Just a, a hint <laughs> of Omicron. Just a smattering. Yes. Omicron um, and LaCroix. So all you need, if, if, if you only have a 0.2% rate of, of you know, hospitalization cases, when you're getting up to the levels of having, you know, a million active cases, then that starts to become very significant. I have friends in London, I have friends in New York, which are hotspots at the moment, and they're just like, everyone has COVID. <laughs> like, everyone? <laughs> it's not even just like, oh, someone has COVID. It's like, everyone has COVID, um, like whole, like, you you know, if you went to a party, because like, I mean, in terms of the transmissibility, I feel like I read it something like, and you can correct me because I am not a uh, medical professional, but like 20% more uh, contagious, I, I read. I, I don't, I don't know the answer. Yeah, anyways, you know what? Don't pay attention to these numbers I'm citing listeners, please, because I could be wrong, but it's much more contagious. Um, so, you know, like, whereas you would have had maybe like, I don't know, five people infected from a party, it's like 50% with Omicron. And yeah, it's like, like crazy. Yeah, it's, it's so, so don't underestimate um, the power of numbers, I think would be Omicron's um, uh, logo if it had one. Um, Where's the PR um, people? Even more so than rest of COVID. Thank you. Why doesn't I? They should. Omicron should employ me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it does sound somewhat like an evil empire, Omicron. It but, really um, does. And you know, the other side of the next is is the is the rollout for five to eleven year olds, and um, you know that is absolutely awesome that um, Medsafe has you know provisionally approved that, and then my understanding is then has to go off to you know cabinet and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and, you know, it, it's interesting, five to 11 year olds, um, the data coming out for the Pfizer um, in five to 11 year olds is, is, is really good, um, really good data um, that it's, you know, safe and effective. Um, pediatricians, um, you know, Jim Russell and, you know, all the pediatricians are, you know, fully behind it. Um, it is slightly different for children because, um, from COVID to date, the Ill, Ill, illness severity for children is, is less than it is for adults. Um, and children can still become extremely unwell. As we've unfortunately been, rem been reminded in the last week with the death of a child under 10 um, in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Um, so children can still become very unwell, but, um, but the, it tends to be a milder disease for, for children, which is wonderful. That's wonderful. So to some extent, a yes, you are protecting your child and vaccinating your child. And solely from that point of view, it, it is the right thing to do. Um, but also to some extent with children are also um, become a kind of small reservoir, um, and can also become a little party area. Yeah, we saw that happen in the UK, right? When they opened yeah. schools, like immediately. That's what caused Delta, arguably. Um, so it's not just that, you know, it is the children and the children are extremely important, but it's also um, that people that the children are coming into contact with their grandparents. And, mm -hmm. um, and so what you don't want is for COVID to then become, it really 
spreading and 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 mutating in 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 the children's population so that it's a double barreled yeah. um reason really why that why the five to 11 year olds and we're currently sitting um at what something like 70 in the mid 70s percent total population vaccinated and we're kind of relatively high up on the leaderboards and we haven't even started with the five to 11 year olds yet as soon as we start with them that will rocket us up even higher um and if we can be like the world's best vaccinated country that is like that's like that's what we got yeah to be top of that podium um would be incredible i think there's been such like such a clear um positive outcome for for having such a high even just a very uh, eligible population uh, vaccinated mm-hmm. before we got community spread of delta right to see those numbers coming down uh to see where, where everywhere else it has gone in double off. figures yeah, yeah just it's, yeah incredible and it's entirely I, on the back of um people like continued restrictions obviously have, have helped yeah. immeasurably Mass. but then also that incredibly high vaccine rate which means less people can catch it and if they do catch it they're less likely to pass it on it's, it's yeah the, it's a testament, yeah, no, it is a testament to the efficacy of the vaccines that we're in, a, in this position now where we see Delta numbers uh, actually yeah, going down. It's Because it's, yeah. it's if you look at um, even the UK and Australia, where they have pretty good vaccine rates, um, just before Omicron hit, they were having second Delta waves, like big ones. Um, it was already going up and then Omicron took over. So they'd had yeah. a, a, second, a second wave of it, mm. so... I wanted to ask actually because now we are facing like a new um threat and a whole new yep awesome wave of this uh do you, <laughs> you second, just tell, day, of, yeah, second you, day of the hangover how long yeah, is this hangover mm, you can just tell that i'm like there's I'm, I'm languishing anyways um uh there's been calls from some healthcare uh, public health experts to speed up the booster campaign to lessen the amount of time required to wait before getting the third shot just because omicron doesn't um seems to have have the ability to evade um immunity uh conferred by two shots so what's your take on that should new zealand be hurrying up and giving us all three shots you know i don't think i have an read the enough to have a take on that um, i would defer that to public health physicians and if mm. they say it's a good idea then i agree with them <laughs> that's a good response <laughs> um, I, yeah, I, I, I believe in the experts <laughs> yeah yeah so i have i have read that so that's interesting I'm, i don't i'm not claiming to know the answer but that you know uh, it does seem that you know we don't two shots doesn't confer enough immunity to stop it um and we also don't have okay to your take on this and all good if you don't know as well but so in the states you've got access to monoclonal antibodies as in what as in what donald trump had yes yes but they have so they have like clinics in the states where if you are vulnerable and within your first 10 days of infection you can go get that and i think new zealand has some of it but we don't give that to people um at all i'm not aware of like I'm just not I'm not aware of the data behind that. Yeah. Um, but I'm not aware of enormous amounts of positive data behind it either. Essentially, yeah. Well, I mean, that wasn't what I was interested in because, like, in the states, you've got these like big clinics and like a lot of pay people paying thousands out of pocket. A lot I think of that un- you, can, you can just stop with that sentence yeah. and we'll know why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of unvaccinated um, yeah. people. There are who... antivirals, though, right? There is the new antiviral from Pfizer, I think. There, there is, and that, yeah. and that, and that is, you know, that's looking really um, good. pretty Positive. good. Yeah. And you know, like, like we harp on about vaccines all the time and rightly so um but you know we're not like psychopaths that just want everyone to have a vaccine like if there is another treatment that comes along that's good then we are absolutely thrilled um so you know you know at at some point if we're able to develop something that that a good antiviral that that treats this then absolutely on board with that um the polio vaccine used to be able to be delivered. You would like take a little, it was like a. Yeah, the polio. Sip it. 
you sip it. So and you put it in your tea. Yeah. And I just think, is the problem the needle? Because we can, maybe we can develop like a little sippy vaccine. No, no, no delays. Get your vaccine. Shut up. I mean, I mean the problem is, the thing is that a lot of people feel like the problem is um, a lot of healthcare workers and general people seem to think that the problem is a, a lack of knowledge or education on the on the vaccine a lack of facts um and certainly obviously if you've studied medicine and you've gone off and you've studied science and um then you will default to it being it's a lack of facts and that's the reason why um and you know it's it's not a lot of the time it is not and that why that's why going around and debunking and saying well no that's not true this is the facts um isn't actually helpful. The facts are, are being out there for, you know, mm. years. The facts are on the news every day. It's, it's not about um, the facts. Um, and, you know, it becomes very multifactorial as to what it is about. Um, mm. And to some of that, that might be a kind of distrust of authority based on um, generational trauma and historical trauma and to some extent colonization and that, that that even goes deeper into your being than you can possibly imagine and it's not going to be solved by somebody sending you a google like googling an article for you um you know, so yeah. there's 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 so much to it so complex and deep that there is not a magic fix-all um that's out there and it's, so much of it is about developing human relationships yeah. and actually appreciating that people are human i think uh, yeah. the, the number one thing i'd ask uh for everyone to be doing is trying to engage with people in good faith where they can instead of just yelling at them that they're idiots yes that's not, and, and like i know it feels helpful. good i know it feels good to like laugh when someone dies it doesn't feel good i just want to be very clear about that <laughs> oh and god so, you're a psychopath <laughs> <laughs> yeah like it, it it's not helping it's not helping um like if, if people it's not Obviously, it's not good if people aren't getting vaccinated. Um, but And it doesn't help the public health effort if that's the case. But we don't need to go and just scream at people if they're not doing that. There are, there are better ways to engage with them. Okay, Kyle, I won't. I will stop doing that. No, I'm just joking. You know what I mean? <laughs> just... It's a motive. Like, there is it something is. about say that. that gets to your core. It does, yeah. Because it, to some, for some... For people who are vaccinated, to some extent, it is about your core values. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I think then remembering if you can bring it within yourself to flip that around and put yourself on the opposite side where your core values are as strong, but just in the opposite way for whatever reason, and then try and imagine that. And I think yeah. that for some people, going and getting a vaccination is viscerally scary mm. and against everything that they may have been brought up learning as a child um and in, in in the same way that if you flipped it on yourself and considered not vaccinating yourself and walking around the street that would be feel really same scary thing. so you know, trying to appreciate that that person's a human um me, and they may be a yeah. bit of a dick or they may not yeah i mean like for me it, it feels quite close to home um you know and i, I always tell the story i because i actually think this is what informs my anger response and my lack of empathy which i will totally <laughs> cop to having no no i totally need to cop to it like i do have to cop to it but so my um my dad is an anti-vaxxer um hardline anti-vaxxer and um my aunt was a doctor and she also was um an anti vexer and kind of went down a whole kind of path of being a into homeopathy which was so that's why I, I know exactly what you mean when you say it's not about facts because this it was a highly educated you know um senior doctor who just kind of for whatever reason you know kind of like didn't trust didn't trust the medical establishment anymore and um you know uh and my dad drag so 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 i managed to get him vaccinated which i'm still quite proud of um i i managed to get him vaccinated it was quite a feat and but it took you know like a lot <laughs> a lot um of time and emotional energy <laughs> and um you know emotional blackmail to an extent um that i <laughs> you know I, I don't know um and so i guess like i think i project my anger at my family members because 
pissed me off so much on Monday. I do. No, oh, no. I realize this. I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm like, oh my god, fuck off. I don't know that, but I'm really telling my dad to fuck off. <laughs> like, like, um, and now, okay, yeah. lie, lie down on the couch, Justine. Yeah, 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 okay, okay. And you know what? You know what? And now I'm thinking, oh shit, now I'm gonna get him his booster. <laughs> like, and you might think it's going to be easier yeah. since he's got two, but I promise I you that will be another Mount Everest. One of the things that is really interesting to me is that where I think even a lot of people who are, who are taking that stance are very, very aware of the amount of victimization that is going on in these spaces, like the outright scamming that some some actually like really bad faith, nasty people are doing in this space, um, whether it's to sell homeopathic products um, or just to cause des- uh, destabilization. Um you know, they are actively trying to recruit and engage people and feed them disinformation. And I think if we we think of people who are anti-vax predominantly as victims, um, that may put us in a a lot better place for a public public health response. Totally. And there are, like, doctors who are um, GPs who, who, you know, who have been harming communities by spreading misinformation and you know i know that because unfortunately i've met them all through my my family um and and there they are a handful so that's why i'm so grateful for um you know you guys and standing up for you know the truth and vaccines because we you know like there are people in positions of authority very few but they you know they do do damage um, and there are people with a lot of resources who are pushing misinformation, and it is a travesty. And they are really, at the end of the day, responsible for. Yeah, this. I mean, there's, it's it's really. I mean, I in general, like one ethos that I kind of live life by, like there is no place for for hatred in in life, um, and you know we have to, you know, every person is. A human being and they every person will have a long story behind why they are at the point that they're at um but you know the one thing that i just you know that medicine has to be evidence-based um and in a in a, in a pandemic response um public health requires certain things from their doctors and healthcare workers um, and, you know, following evidence-based medicine and your practices being for the well-being of, of your patients and your population in a, in a place that is based in scientific evidence is a prerequisite um, to, to being a healthcare worker. Um, and so, I, you know, I know that the New Zealand Medical Association has investigated a number of a number of doctors and that there are a small number of doctors that have been um, had their licenses suspended um, and that are under investigation um, and you know I trust the New Zealand Medical Association to to take those kind of tenants of of medicine and 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 the duty of a healthcare worker during a pandemic and and do what's you know what is necessary and I, do, I feel for doctors who you know have worked their lives in medicine and and for whatever reason maybe now stand on the other side of a of a fence and I, I i do i understand that that would you know that if you hold those beliefs that that would be really quite hard and traumatizing and i i do feel some degree of sympathy for for that situation but um also one wholeheartedly agree that the new zealand medical association needs to make sure that our our healthcare workers are you know, doing the right thing based on the evidence that the world has at hand. So I, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not into villainizing anyone. Like I don't, that's not how I want to live my life at all. Um, and I, I just want the right thing to be done so that our patients can know that they're going to go and speak to a healthcare worker and, and, and have faith in, in the science that that healthcare worker is using. Um, so if certain things need to happen for that, then that's mm. what behind that. I think that's a fantastic uh, place to wrap up. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, Elspeth. It's been really good to have you on the cast. Yeah, pleasure. Fabulous. And where can cool. um, people find any of the work you do that you're comfortable with uh, putting on a recording? 
<laughs> Unfortunately, you can find the work I do if you turn up at an emergency department. <laughs> but you might not want to find it that way. Um, no, so, no, was it? Are there other ways? <laughs> <laughs> so there's my, the website. I think we have a Twitter account, um, NZDRSUV. Um, there's a Facebook group um, of the same name. Um, New Zealand and, Doctors Sports Utility um, Beckles. <laughs> New Zealand Doctors. I'm, now I'm just trying to think of other acronyms that work. Stand <laughs> up for ultraviolet radiation. Oh, perfect, perfect. New Zealand, no, New Zealand Doctors. So uh, the, the website is www.doctors and then dash stand up for vaccination and with a dash in between each word. Um, and, and that's where you would find the list of doctors if you were nosy and wanted to scroll through them. Um, but you would also find the kind of frequently asked questions that are just really useful, especially around, you know, this Christmas period. It's really useful to just print them off um, and share them. Some people might not want to read Ministry of Health stuff. They might feel that Ministry of Health stuff might not be something that they might trust for whatever reason. Um, and so, you know, you can know that these are written by doctors who don't have any particular political affiliation they are not they are just doing their job um and you know some people find that really useful um so you know feel free to to take a look perfect i'll put the link to that in the episode notes as well if people want to check that out awesome thank you thanks again everyone that's been one of 200 for another week uh, give us a share if you think it would be useful for people to listen to. Give us a retweet on Twitter or, or whichever. Uh, we've got our Patreon account up, um, so you can donate to us too if you feel uh, like you want to do that. We'll catch you probably after Christmas uh, for the next episode of One of Two Hundred. We'll see you then. Relentless routines, the dying embers of your dreams, is the lie aspirational. Will you die keeping your glass half full? The relentless routines The dying embers of your dreams Is a lie aspirational Will you die keeping your glass half full? You don't hate your nation You hate nationalism You don't hate your nation